great to see our city. Some of you had served with, excuse me, the Pumpkin Festival a couple of weeks ago. And uh, what's really neat about serving at that is if you go tomorrow night, you'll see a lot of the same people. And they'll recognize you and go, hey, weren't you? And uh, just a fun way to bless our community. Um, also in your bulletin, there's a little insert. Um, if you have that insert, would you just kind of hold it up? Wave it in the air like you just don't care. All right. Um, you'll see there's a Fit for Fall 5K coming up. And I want to mention this uh, not just as an additional announcement um, because, because I try not to do that. I want to get better at not doing that. But I did realize this morning that the link, is, link didn't make it in. So you might be wondering, well, how do I register? Uh, fit for fall five, uh, you know, fitforfall.com is the website where you can register. And we're going to do that as a church family. And then something to be aware of next week, starting this week sometime, probably, most likely, supposedly, they're going to start installing solar panels in this parking lot, which means a good portion of this parking lot is going to be blocked off. You might have noticed at some of the other schools here in Glendora that that's been taking place. So just be aware when you come next week uh, that, that that's going to be happening. Uh, we're going to be limited on our parking. Um, there still be, should be plenty of spots, but here's what I'm going to ask. If, if you uh, don't have children... Uh, if you're a college student, would you do me a favor and would you park on the street so we can reserve these spaces in the parking lot for our families with children so we don't have kids running across Lorraine? Sound good? All right? Fair enough? All right. Well, we are continuing a series called Thrive. Pastor Debbie did a great job last week. I got to hear uh, her message online and did a great job uh, speaking about uh, grace Extended. Uh, our guys, by the way, we went up to men's camp. There were 14 of us, and God moved in mighty ways. It was a powerful time. Guys, I just want to tell all the men in the room, uh, we don't have exact dates yet for next year, but sometime around October, there's going to be another men's camp. Start planning now. In fact, if you save $10 a month right now and just put it away in a little jar somewhere, you'll have the money you need to go to men's camp. Uh, we saw 14 guys go this year. I'd love for us to, to double that next year. I'd love to. It was a, guys who went, good time? Yeah. yeah, worth it? Yeah, God spoke, and it was a powerful time. Uh, but I know that God did good things here as well. Pastor Deb shared, and we're going to continue this morning our series called uh, Thrive Core Values. Um, for those of you maybe new to the church, uh, we just recently renamed our church, and uh, we are now Thrive Church. And so we're in the midst of a series that's helping unpack our vision, our mission, and, and our core values, and really identifying who we are, what makes us tick as a church family. And so um, I'm going to put our vision up. Our vision uh, right here says this, we are all about helping people thrive in Christ. We exist to help people thrive in Christ. That's, that's our vision. That's our long-term perspective. We want to see people thrive in Christ. Of course, that in Christ part is so critical, is so key. Our mission statement, it goes along with it and unpacks it a little bit more. We exist to help people thrive in Christ by doing four things. By knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and going into all the world to reach others. Knowing, growing, serving, going. Now, I know it's kind of cloudy out today. It might kind of be kind of mellow. Did you all get your coffee? 
We good? All right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to activate us a little bit, get us moving. We're going to just say those four words together, okay? Can we do that? Ready? Go. Knowing, growing, serving, going. All right. We get the juices flowing. That's how we accomplish our vision. It's through knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus did, and going into all the world. Well, we're talking about our core values, and our values really are about how we do church family. It's our guidelines or our, our, our rule of life for our church. It helps guide the decisions that we make and the things that we do uh, both internally and externally as a church. I want to read through all eight of our core values, and then we'll jump in to this morning. We'll have these up on the screen. God first, people matter, love does, grace extended. So we've covered those four. Bring your best, live in community, ministry and team, and commit to growth. I want to mention this right up front today. If you're visiting with us this morning, you're going to notice that today's message kind of has a uh, family meeting feel to it. Um, and so I don't want you to, to feel awkward or uncomfortable because I will be speaking about some things that, that address how we do church family. How many of you ever have family meetings in your home? Or you grew up in a home where it was like, all right, family meeting, right? And then you, like, you got nervous because you're like, what does this mean? And, uh, you know, the great unknown. Um, and, and in some families, it worked well because it said, hey, we're going to define who we are. We're going to talk about the future. Okay, so this is, this is kind of family meeting style uh, as we talk about our core values. But don't get nervous, <laughs> right? Don't get nervous. But I will be touching on some things that will help define and clarify some some things for us as a church family that I think are important. They're important. And, and as you're probably aware, sometimes important things that we need to talk about are not easy things to talk about, right? Again, don't get nervous. It's going to be good. But we're going to have a good time this morning as we look at some things. But if you're visiting with this morning, I just wanted to give you a little bit of context. All right, a little story. Last year... Megan and I, my wife and I, got to go to England for a few days, about a week, just over a week. Uh, it was a trip that we had been planning for a while. In fact, before we even came uh, to Glendora Foursquare Church, to this church, it's a trip that we had planned, and then we got the call to, to come here to Glendora, and we thought, oh, do we cancel our trip? And we're like, no, we've been anticipating. And so within a few weeks of stepping in as the lead pastors here, we hopped on a plane and went to England, and thank you for letting us go. It was a great time. Um, and we got to do all of the things that you do in England. You get cold, and uh, you get rained on. And, no, it, it was a great visit. Um, of course, it was a cooler time of the year, and we got to see the sights, and we walked a lot, um, and, and it was a lot of fun. One of the things that we got to do was see the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace. Anyone had the opportunity to see that before? It's pr pretty spectacular. It's really cool, you know, and it's just thousands of people pressed in, and a lot of security and horses and policemen and, you know, people with funny hats. And, um, and it's this whole ceremony that they do. I um, mean, it was just fun to watch. So that all really happened. Now we're going to imagine a little bit. So imagine if Megan and I are sitting there watching all of this happen in front of us. And the captain of the guard comes over on his horse over to where we're at and says... Are you Barry and Megan Mulock? Yes, we are. Now, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. We're pretending, all right? 
and said this, the queen, the queen knows that you're here. <laughs> what? Yeah, the queen knows you're here. In fact, she would like you to come uh, for supper tonight to Buckingham Palace. And of course, we would say, you know what? We have other plans. There's a pub that we wanted to check out. No way. We would spend the rest of the day. Of course, we would say, yes, we'll be there, right? And then we would spend the rest of the day doing things like this, buying a suit, because I didn't bring one, and buying a really nice dress, and getting a haircut, and going home and taking a shower and shaving and I'm probably going to jump online and start looking up what proper etiquette is at Buckingham Palace and how you approach the queen, right? Would you, can you picture it? Right? Probably be a little nervous and a little bit excited. I want to talk this morning about bringing your best, a core value for us as a church family of bringing our best. I didn't get invited to Buckingham Palace. But I do serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here's the thing. He does know my name. The Queen of England has no idea who I am. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords knows my name and he knows your name. And he invites you to come and partake, not just future in heaven with him, but now here in this, in this earth with his church, with his church family, with this body of believers. And in the same way that if I were invited to Buckingham Palace, I would go through a process of getting myself ready. I believe the God, that God calls his church to prepare themselves to worship, to bring our very best to him that we have to offer. Now, you may, may have heard this term, right? We talk about dressing up nicely. We'll say something like, hey, make sure to wear your Sunday best. I am not talking about clothing today. For a long time in the church, this became about who could outdo each other, have the biggest hat. Anyone ever sit behind the lady with the biggest hat, right? And you couldn't see a thing. And that was really what Sunday best came, became about what you could wear. And in, in the New Testament, we see Jesus addressing this with the Pharisees, right? It says that they had like these long flowing robes and they had phylacteries, Whatever that, no, they had like tassels and they were, they were signs of honor and they would wear these things. The Bible says, Jesus says, listen, you're dressed up. You're dressed to the nines. You're wearing your Sabbath best in their case, but your heart is far from me. I'm not talking about clothing today. We're going to talk about bringing our best to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords and having a culture in our church that is committed to the best that we have to offer. This is the statement that goes along with bring your best, if we can put that up on the screen. God deserves the best we have to offer. Our time, there's a spelling error on that slide. That's not our best. How about that? Our time, our abilities, our finances, our attitude, our all. We choose to honor him with our best. And really the key word in that is the word honor. We honor God when we bring the best of who we are. I want to show another illustration. Uh, show this picture. You might recognize this place. Anyone know where that is? County Fair. The LA County Fair. All right. Anyone go this year? All right. Anyone do any of the rides? Anyone just 
deathly afraid of carnival rides. Yeah. All right, so here's, that's the LA County Fair. Let me show you another picture. We, the name's right up there, but what is that? Knott's Berry Farm, all right, down, down in Buena Park. Uh, some big old rides. I went on my first roller coaster in my life at Knott's. Did not enjoy it at all. Uh, Knott's Berry Farm, kind of a cool spot, isn't it? Anyway, last picture. Yeah. Right, Disneyland. It is Disneyland or Disney World. Let me ask you this morning, are these things the same? I would say yes. Essentially, they're exactly the same. They're a place where you can go be entertained, right? You can ride some rides. Uh, you can eat junk food. And some wonderful people will help you separ be separated from your hard-earned money, right? <laughs> At a, core val at a core level, they're exactly the same. Their goal is the same. So what's different about them? What separates the L.A. County Fair, Knott's Berry Farm, and Disneyland? It's a commitment and a culture to do the best. In fact, I think the, the, the L.A. County Fair, that's one thing because it, it happens once a year. and you know, So we'll just even dismiss that one. Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland. I, I enjoy both, but I love going to, to Disney. See, because when I go to Knott's Berry Farm, I know I'm at Knott's Berry Farm. And, and there'll be things that, that kind of give you a clue that you're at Knott's Berry Farm and not at Disneyland, other than Mickey Mouse. It'll be things like this, uh, peeling paint, or light bulbs that are burned out, or employees that aren't really helpful or friendly, or now and again you walk by somewhere and you see a gate that's open and you see the alley with the dumpsters in it. You will never go to Disneyland and see any of those things. You will not find a burned out light bulb. You will not find a piece of trash on the ground. You will never see the backstage, right? They build those alleys in such a way that their cast members have to go, kind of go through a little maze to get there. So you never have line of sight of anything behind the scenes. And you are fully immersed into this environment that says we have done everything we can to present the best so that you have the most amazing, magical time you possibly can. But it goes even beyond that. See, because I know when I'm at Disneyland, I can walk up to any cast member, any and every cast member, doesn't matter whether they have a broom in their hand or a clipboard in their hand or if they're dressed in a costume, I can go to any cast member and ask him a question and I'm going to get a friendly greeting and a helpful answer. Right? Am I right? You've experienced this if you've been to Disneyland. And you feel like you're the most important person in the world. This is after, of course, you've paid for the ticket and had, like, mild cardiac arrest. All right? Forget about that part of it. And there's a reason that people will pay twice the price to go to Disneyland versus Knott's. Because that quality matters. Disney, Walt Disney, had an eye and a commitment to bring the best. And here's the thing. Decades after his passing, it still endures. And Disney is known globally as being the leader, not just in theme parks, but in entertainment, right? 
a leader in entertaining kids and engaging kids and engaging families. They even get involved like in Disney World and, and, and their wild animal park. They, they're involved in conservation. They're involved in things that extend beyond just a theme park. And everything they do, you know if you see that big old D, right, you know it's going to be quality. You know it's going to be quality. I want to suggest this morning, though, that the church is called to take the lead and not to follow the world when it comes to bringing our best. That we're supposed to be the ones, we serve the creator of all things. We have to understand that all creativity flows from God. That Satan is not a creative or created being. And so all creativity comes from the Lord. Uh, even those things that don't maybe even honor him. That we find that creative unction inside of us. And as such, the church should be the ones who take the lead creatively quality and excellence, that we would set the standard and that the world, imagine a world where Disney would look at the church and say, we need to do things more like the church does it because they just do it so well. But the truth is, is that things have kind of been let go a little bit. I want to challenge us this morning in regards to Thrive Church. I can't talk about other churches. I can't address the big C church, but I can talk about our church family and who we are here and about how we do church, how we bring ourselves and the part that we play with a commitment to excellence. Make this statement right up front, though. This is not a show. See, Disney exists to entertain people. This is not a show. This is not a show. And I know that those lines in, in some churches can be a little blurred. Um, and as we talk about bringing our best and setting a bar of excellence for our church, the goal is never entertainment. The goal is engagement. Not entertainment, but engagement. See, excellence is not perfection. And I know for a while in the church that word excellence was, was kind of a bad word. Or excellence, well, we're, we're just supposed to be who we are. Just come as you are. And then we let things slide. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is having an eye for how can we bring the best that we have to bring to honor the Lord. So it's not a show. And also, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying or read into uh, what I'm, what, what's not being said here. I'm not saying this. Don't come to church unless you have it all together, right? Bring your best is not about, oh, I'm having a bad day, so I shouldn't go to church. That, that's, put that out of your mind if that's even a thought. That's not the heart behind this. In fact, a commitment to bringing our best as a church culture will create an environment in which helping, hurting people will feel safe. See, because when you go to a church and, and it's disorganized and no one really knows what's going on and there's no greeters and there's no prayer team and there's no one set up to help you, you walk in and you go, well, I have things that I need to deal with today, but I don't even know who to ask. And no one greeted at me at the door. And how many times you go to a church and go, well, they were just weren't very friendly. We should be the friendliest people on the face of the planet. 
Oh, come on. We should be the friendliest people on the face of the planet, right? We, we should be the leaders when it comes to embracing and welcoming people, especially those who are hurt. Read the New Testament. Jesus was a master at connecting with people who felt discouraged and separated and depressed. And he drew them in. So if you're having a bad day, don't think this way, oh, I'm just not going to go to church. No, please come. Please be here because you're an important part. So there's three points I want to make this morning about bringing our best as a church family. And this applies, these three points will apply to how we lead, how I lead our church, how we make decisions as a staff and as a leadership team, but they also apply to you. See, because Paul talks about the body of Christ and how we're all connected together and how each, each part is important. We're going to talk about worship, we're going to talk about our service, and we're going to talk about our giving. Yes, we're going to talk about giving. Our worship. How do we bring our best in worship? Book of uh, 2 Samuel 24, verse 24 says this. This is an account of David. Uh, David, it was towards the end of his life. And, and it says that God, he, he had made some decisions that didn't please the Lord. And, and he was in a place where there, the Lord was actually, he gave him three choices. He said, listen, because of your disobedience... Uh, you have three choices, and, and he lays out three choices for, really, for punishment. And so David chooses the third one, which was pestilence, and 70,000 people end up perishing because of David's disobedience. And, and in a place now where David's going, listen, I need to go and offer and make sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord says, go to this place, to this plot of land, um, and I want you to build an, build an altar there and worship me. And so this is what's taking place as we read. Um, the king said to Aruana, uh, by the way, so this man who owns this piece of land, David comes and he says, I want to buy this piece of land from you and I want to build an altar. And, and so this man who has reverence for the king says, listen, I'll give you the land. I'll give you the stones to build the altar. I'll give you the oxen and I'll even give you the wood for the sacrifice. And, and David says, great, um, I'm going to pay you for it. And Aruana uh, says, um, uh, Aruna, or however you say his name, um, says, no, 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 I want to give it to you. And the king says to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. Listen to this. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. I love David's heart here. I will not offer any burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. See, if I was David in that situation, I would have thought, well, look at the blessing of the Lord. This guy wants to give this to me. But David's heart reveals something about bringing your best. See, worship, as David is expressing here, is not about David. It's all about God, and it's about what David has to bring it's not about what I can get, but it's about what I bring, and that what I bring is valuable and honors the Lord. I will offer nothing that costs me. I won't offer anything that costs me nothing. There has to be a cost to our worship. In fact, throughout Scripture, 
we see this commitment to excellence in worship all through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Uh, I'd mentioned during our transition time the temple and the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle, of course, that was built while the Israelites were wandering in the desert and was their place of worship that was set up right in the middle of the camp. And, and God gave specific instructions about how the tabernacle would be built and, 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 and where everything would be placed. And then later on, when, uh, when they were established in the land and Jerusalem had been built, Solomon, King Solomon, builds this beautiful temple for the Lord. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 through 9, we see the word of God say this, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. There was a level of excellence and quality that went into the workmanship of the tabernacle. In fact, it says that the people brought their gold and their silver and their bronze and their jewels, and the people gave out of what God had blessed them with, because remember, they were slaves in Egypt. And when they left Egypt, the Egyptians were so happy to see them go that they gave them all of these precious metals and all of these jewels. Now they're out in the desert, and God's saying, I want you to give a portion of what I've, I've blessed you with, things that you didn't work for, that were, you, were just given to you, back to the Lord for the building of this temple or this tabernacle. And God goes into great detail, and we'll read about here in a few minutes, even some of the workmen who put the work into it. But this holy temple, this holy sanctuary rather, was to be done with excellence. It was supposed to stand out. It was supposed to stand out in a world where worship was just kind of whatever you wanted it to be. God defines the terms of their worship and he says, we're going to make this the best. It's going to be awesome. See, a commitment to excellence and bringing our best is not just about what we do. It's also about how we do it. Because how we do things communicates something to the world, right? The quality with which you do things communicates, things, communicates something to other people. If you do something kind of halfway, people are going to assume that, well, you don't care that much about it. It's not that important to you. But when we bring our best and we go over and above, especially in our worship, it communicates to the world that we're serious about who we serve and we're serious about how we worship. In fact, God goes on to tell the Israelites as they bring their sacrifices, again, what we talked about earlier today, there were sacrifices of incense that they would lift up. There were animals that were sacrificed. There was bread and grain and oil that was bring, brought. And, 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 and it says that everything that was offered was supposed to be the best of what the people had to bring. You've heard this phrase that the, the lamb or, or, or the goat was to be without spot or blemish. So that when the person would go to their flock and pick out the animal, they wouldn't pick the, the defective one, the one that was uh, maybe not as good or the runt and say, well, I'll give that one to the Lord. They were supposed to pick the very best, say the one that had no spot, no blemish and bring that and sacrifice that animal to the Lord. As we read through all of this, you realize that God is honored in the details, right? God is honored in the details. 
Leviticus 3.16 says this, And the priest shall burn them on an altar as food offering with a pleasing aroma. I love this line, all the fat is the Lord's. All the fat is the Lord's. You know, there's times you read through scripture and you're going, okay, I don't get that. Like, what does that mean? Um, because it doesn't have context for, for us. Any, any steak lovers in, in the house, right? You know, you know the, the difference between a good steak and a bad steak is the marbling, right? And how much fat is kind of weaved into that steak. Now, don't check out on me and start dreaming about steaks. <laughs> but you understand that the best cuts of meat have a good percentage of fat. It increases the flavor. It makes it moist. Uh, when we lived in Alaska, uh, our family would go out, my brother-in-law would go out hunting, and they would shoot moose and bring the moose back. And, and if you, any wild game, there's very little fat. They're very lean. And because of that, they don't taste that great. You've got to, like, crock pot them, right? It's like cook it for 14 days and then and, and <laughs> right? Because there's no fat, so you have to wrap it in bacon, because bacon makes everything better. It's amazing that that's the first thing I've said today that got that much of a response. Wow. The fat belongs to the Lord. Why? Because they, they realized that the choicest pieces of the meat of the animal had the fat. And so the fat belonged to the Lord because what they were saying in essence is he gets the very best of the animal. He gets the very best of what they had to offer. All the fat is the Lord's. Plus, you know when you're barbecuing and, and it's, that, it's just that choice piece, that smell, so good. As they would sacrifice out front of the temple or the tabernacle, that that aroma, that fat being offered was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And it was a reminder to the people that God gets the best. Psalm 66, 15 says this, I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals. With the sweet aroma of rams, I will offer bulls with goats. I will offer burnt sacrifices of fat animals. We could read right over that and go, well, that's great. What God is saying here is bring your best. Bring your best. Well, let's jump over to the New Testament because we don't have a context really for offering animals, do we? So Paul says it this way in Romans 12, chapter 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It goes from offering an animal to saying, I offer myself. I offer myself as a living sacrifice. By the way, you're holy and pleasing. Why? Because you're so awesome? No, because of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness that came through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are holy and pleasing. But now God says, now offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice. 
as a living sacrifice. Remember, David said, I will offer, I will not offer anything that doesn't cost me something. Right? Apply that to Romans chapter 12. I will bring myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Yet I believe in the church in the West, in America, that it's easy to say, oh, I'm just offering myself as a living sacrifice, but it doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't cost us anything. God's not getting the fat. He's not getting the fat. He's getting the leftovers. He deserves the best. He deserves your best in light of what he's done for you. In the same way that the Israelites didn't earn the gold and they didn't earn the jewels that were given to them. We've been given the gift of life and salvation and freedom in Christ. And God says, now offer yourselves. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. So bringing our best as a church. I've said this already. It's not about entertainment. But as we consider how do we bring our best, and I'm going to apply it specifically to Sunday mornings. I'm going to apply it to this place on Sunday mornings, and, and, it, and it reaches far beyond, and you need to make the applications in your own life and in your own relationship with the Lord. But, but these core values are helping to shape how we do church, how we do church. See, bringing our best is all about removing distractions. It's about removing distractions. These new chairs that you're sitting in, we're not just because I, I thought, you know what, our, our church just needs to be more comfortable. It's not about that. But I did, want to, I did think this, I want to remove distractions. Some of you don't know that there's a Viking back there, right? There's a Viking with a little peace sign. Some of you have been spent years looking at him. And, and here's the thing, could we worship with the Viking there? Absolutely. But I also know this, that's potentially a distraction, and so this backdrop doesn't exist to impress. It serves to remove distractions. That we're committed as, as a church, as a leadership team, and for me as a pastor, to, to create an environment where there are fewer distractions for people to be looking this way and that and wondering about that thing on the wall and to be able to focus on the Lord of Lord and the kings, King of Kings. And so we don't do these things for show or for entertainment. We do them to remove distractions. But we each play a part in that. We all work together and come together as a church family to take ownership of our church home, of the house of the Lord. And so I invite you, when you get here on a Sunday morning, if you see things out of place, take the initiative Remove the distractions or find someone who can take care of it. I heard someone say once that everybody's business is nobody's business. And so maybe someone will notice something for five weeks in a row but never say anything. And maybe the Lord's saying, no, I, sh I, I pointed it out to you because I want you to actually do something about it. Bring your best as a church culture means that we all take ownership of our church family and of this house of worship 
not just the pastor, not just the, the setup team, but that we bring our best to worship because it honors the Lord. Here's the challenge for you and for me in bringing our best in worship. First of all is this, make it a priority. Make it a priority. Can you worship God without being at church on Sunday morning? Sure. Sure. Right? I, I get it. You don't have to be in the building to love Jesus. But in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this to the church. Make sure that you stay committed to showing up. And don't get in the habit of not coming as some have started doing. You know that in the book of Hebrews in the early church, it was an issue. That people not showing up was an issue. Now, this is a touchy one. Can we just agree this is a touchy subject? Were you saying I have to, have to be here? You don't, you don't have to be here, but you have to be here. C.S. Lewis tells a story once of his wife and him every morning when he would leave for work, he would give her a kiss at the door and walk down the path. And one morning he was in a hurry, he was running late, and he got to the door and he ran right past her and he's halfway down the garden path to the gate because it was England and that's what they have. And, and she said, what about my kiss? And she says, and he says to her, do I have to? And she said, you do, but not that kind of have to. Can I just tell you, when you're not here, we miss out. The body of Christ misses out. And I believe that in our Western culture, church, coming to church, being a part of the church is just not a priority for us. That everything else in our lives and anything else in our lives takes that top spot. We want to be a church that extends grace, as Pastor Deb preached about last week. We want to extend grace, and we're going to do that. But at the same time, as a pastor, my heart breaks when I notice that people haven't been. Because we miss out when you're not here. And more than that, that vo those voices I, got, I heard being lifted up this morning, your voice is missing from that. Don't get in the habit of not coming and putting other things before coming to church. Prepare your heart. So make it a priority. Choose. Plan your calendar, by the way. Choose. I got invited to a couple of parties yesterday that I wanted to go to so badly. But here's what I know. If I go to a party on Saturday night, I'm a wreck on Sunday morning. And because I'm the pastor, I'm like, I can't be a wreck on Sunday morning. <laughs> And I'm a people person. I know, I'm that guy. I was that kid when my parents told me to go to bed while there was a party going on. I sat at my door and listened to try and just hear the voices because I was like, I'm missing out on being with people. But I've had to dis discipline myself and make it a priority and say, I have to give up certain things because I know I have church tomorrow and I need to make sure that I'm there. Not just because I'm the pastor. Next is this, prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Ask yourself on Sunday morning, am I ready to go and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Am I bringing the best of what I have to offer today? 
Are there things that are in the way? And, 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 and believe me, here's the thing. When you bring your best and you worship the Lord, he blesses you. But so often we come to worship and we're just saying, hey, Lord, just bless me, bless me, bless me. And even our worship songs, I sit with, our, with, with Jacques and Jamie and Jesse and we evaluate our worship songs to make sure that they're not me-centric. That our worship is designed to glorify God. So prepare your heart. Remove distractions. Oh, we are so distracted. Anyone distracted? Anytime, ever? Not just right now. I'm not saying, hey, are you distracted right now? Raise your hand. Um, no, we, we're distracted. I was standing here in worship, and every two minutes, something was popping into my head. I'm like, I'm, I'm casting that out. I don't want to think about that. I just want to focus on Jesus right now. Remove distractions. All right. This next one. Gently, lovingly, kindly, as your pastor, as your shepherd, arrive on time. There's no other way to say it. Arrive on time. And here's the thing. If we were going to a movie, we wouldn't arrive 20 minutes late. If we were going to a dinner appointment, if we're going to catch a plane, we would show up on time. Why any less for the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Now, you might go, oh, that's kind of legalistic. No, it's honoring the Lord. And I know this, that on Sunday morning when our worship team gets up to worship and lead us, and there's 10 people sitting out here, I know their hearts just sink a little bit. And I know that they, yeah, we're here for the Lord, but, but they put in hours of work. Why? So that it can be up front and entertain. There's not one person who stands up here who's here for the entertainment value. Because if they were, they wouldn't be up here. They are here to lead you so you can honor the Lord with your worship. Would you honor them by planning your morning so that you can be here? Bringing your best means showing up before 1030. It, it just does. I said at the beginning, we were going to talk about some family business stuff. Here it is. Here it is. I have the same kind of conversations with my kids, right? And I'm not perfect. In fact, this is one that I've let myself slide in. I'm, I, I've been habitually late throughout my life for appointments, and I come up with excuses, and I just felt the Lord saying, Barry, no more excuses. Discipline your life and show up on time because you honor people and you honor me when you do. And here's the other thing. For our guests, for those who would come and say, it's my first time, I'm risking being here. I'm stepping out and it's, I'm nervous about, I, I, I'm a pastor and going to a church for the first time that I've never, I get nervous. It's hard to walk into a room full of people you don't know. It's even harder to walk into a room that's empty. So let's be ready to bring our best and welcome people and honor the Lord on Sunday mornings. Does that sound good? Is that fair? Yes. And, and, and hear my heart. If you disagree, come talk to me. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's hammer it out. And then when you're here, engage. Engage with the Lord. Engage with each other. Bring the best of who you are to this place. All right. So we worship God by bringing our best. The next is this, our service. 
our service. We bring our best to how we serve. One of our mission statements or mission components is serving like Jesus. Now, I could just have said, well, we just serve our, our hearts out or we serve like there's no tomorrow, right? But when you say serve like Jesus, it means something. Because when you read about Jesus' life and how he served and ultimately gave his life, laid his life down for us, well, we've got a high mark, a high standard to achieve. Am I right? How we serve and how we bring our best in service. I need you to know this morning that you're not here by accident. You are here for a reason that God in time and space and in his infinite wisdom, said that you would be here in this place on this day, as, as, as uh, Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time as this. That you are an important part of who we are. You are an important part of who you are. And, and let me just tell you this, it doesn't matter what you feel or think about yourself. Because I know so many people come to church and go, I just got to sit in the shadows and hang back because I've got nothing to give. And we kind of adopt a bit of an Eeyore mentality, yeah. right? Oh, I'm just going to show up, but I'm not that good. And, right, my faith fell off again. And <laughs> let me take a sip of coffee. Some of you are going, wait, all got the tail. Okay, good. You're here on purpose, that you are such an important part of who we are. You're an important part of this church, and you're an important part of the kingdom of God. And God, in his infinite wisdom, chose and ordained for you to be here today, in this season of our church, in this time, and the opportunity we have to influence the world around us. I already said this. I'm going to say it again. We miss you when you're not here. I recently had a conversation with someone um, that hadn't been to church in a while. And as I was talking to this individual, I just said, you know, we've, we've missed you. And they said, well, it doesn't seem like I've missed out on a lot. And my response was, yeah, but we have. But we have. It's not just about what you get. It's about what you bring. And when you're not here... Someone else is going to feel the effects of that. And whether that's during our greeting time, which I know for some people is like, oh, don't make me say hi to people. <laughs> don't make eye contact. But here's the thing I know. If God was here in flesh, he wouldn't shake your hand. He would give you a hug. Learned that one from my friend Ryan. We get all awkward because our culture is awkward. Ugh. Don't. I'm willing to deal with awkward because I know during that time there are words that are of encouragement that are given and someone gets from you or you receive from someone something way more valuable than the sermon that's preached right after. See, I'm not the main attraction. I'm not the main attraction. I, I never want this church to be about, well, that Pastor Barry... I want, I want me to be an afterthought because you guys are the main attraction. And when you come and you're here and you're ready to serve people, it doesn't matter if you have a role. 
that you get to serve each other as Christ serves the church. Jesus says, I want to lay my life down. If we had to come every Sunday, if every one of us came every Sunday and said, Lord, there's someone today who needs an encouraging word. Would you allow me and give me the opportunity to give an encouraging word to someone today? And watch what happens. This church, I'm telling you, it will explode. Because it's too easy to come to church and, and I'll say hi to the greeter and the usher because I have to. And then after that, no eye contact. What if we came with our heads up saying, who, who needs a blessing? Who can I be a blessing to? I'll just bring the very little bit that I have to offer and that's okay. When we bring our best in serving the Lord, his church is encouraged. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, another translation says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of your might. And that doesn't just apply here at church, that's in every part of life. That we honor the Lord in our work and in our service and when we bring the best, right? No one ever got a raise or promotion at work because they slacked off and did the bare minimum, right? right? We understand that in the business world, if I want a promotion, I bring my best at work. The Lord says, I want to honor you and entrust you with more but if we don't bring our best, he says, I can't release more to you because I can't trust it in your hands and in your mouth. We bring our best. Exodus chapter 36, 1 and 2. The Lord had gifted Bezalel, Olihab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task, any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. And so Moses summoned Bezalel and Olihab and all the others who were specially gifted by the Lord and were, listen to this, eager to get to work. Oh, I pray that our church would be eager to get to work. Eager. Here's this tabernacle, this, this holy sanctuary being built for the Lord. And when you read in Exodus about the details in Leviticus, the detail and the craftsmanship that went into this tabernacle, it's mind-blowing. This, this place was phenomenal. But God had raised up men and women who were skilled in craft and, 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 and in their craft and had abilities to get the work done. God had a vision of where things needed to be, and he brought the people along to help accomplish the vision. Helping people thrive in Christ. We exist to help people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and going into all the world to reach others. You know whose job that is? It's your job, not my job. It's your job because you're here. Because God has given you abilities and skills and talents that I don't have, that Pastor Tom doesn't have, that Jamie doesn't have. And so he's brought us together to say, you know what, you're good at this, and so I'm going to bring you in this season so you can bring what you have to offer. 
And in the same way that these two men existed and then this whole team was built in the Old Testament, the same thing God is doing here today. That he has a vision that is so much even greater than what we can dream of. So your gifts and your skills, that you are skilled craftsmen and craftswomen. Some of you have abilities that you, you've, you've said this, I can't let anyone know because they're going to ask me to do stuff. You're robbing the church. Because you're here for a reason. Now listen, it's not my heart to overwhelm any, anyone. Anyone. My commitment to you is I'm more concerned about your health and your strength and your growth in the Lord. That's why serving comes after growing, by the way. Because the Bible says that the fruit is a result of what's been established in deep roots. And so we keep going back to our vision and our mission to ground us in what God has spoken. But don't hide your talent. You are skilled and we need what you have to offer. Your faithfulness. They were eager to work. Eager to work. I've been part of church my whole life. And I've been in very few churches where I would say that everyone's just eager to work. Could you imagine a church where everybody, everybody said, you know what, I have a part to play and I'm going to take ownership of the part that has been entrusted to me. I can't even fathom it. I dream of a day when Pastor Deb, our children's pastor, goes, I have too many volunteers. I don't know what to do with them all. I, the vision, the dream that I have for our church is that we, we stop being like other churches. Oh, I just need teachers. I don't have enough teachers. Oh, I got a call on Saturday night that that teacher canceled. That's not our best. That's not our best. What if we were a church where our children's pastor goes, hey, stop asking for people to serve in children's ministries. We've got too many. You know that in, 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 in the Old Testament, in Exodus, Moses gives the calling and says, listen, bring, bring these items, the gold, the silver, the bronze, all of these raw materials, bring them. And he actually had to put out a call and say, stop, we've got more than we need. Every pastor in the world reads that and goes, oh, Lord Jesus, that would be awesome. <laughs> we serve the same God. It's just our culture's messed up. And our culture should be counterculture in the sight of the church to what the world says. Your preparation, preparing your heart, preparing your tools, preparing a place that... that Disneyland functions the way that it does because there is an army of people who prepare in advance before the gates ever open. There's an army of people that you'll never meet who work through the night when the gates are closed to find the burned out light bulbs and to paint the little scuff marks. I would love to just go at night and watch just everyone deploy it just be mind-blowing because there's a preparation that goes, we have to prepare. We have to prepare our tools. I prepare a sermon. I prepare a sermon. 
I spent time through the week and in advance. In fact, I'm looking at all the way through June next year, and hopefully by the end of this year, all of the sermon series to the end of next year will be in place because I know that I don't do well at the last minute, and you don't get the best of what God has if I'm not prepared. And so I'm looking six months to a year in advance to prepare so that the Lord can be honored and we remove distractions. Prepare yourself, prepare your gifts, prepare the tools that you need to do your work for the Lord. And you improving, your commitment to improving, get better. If you're a teacher, if you love kids, there's some great resources online. Don't wait for some leader to say, oh, and read this. Get out there and engage. Get better and, and, and hone your craft. It says, it says of David that he, uh, he, grew, he grew, right, in integrity of heart and in skillfulness of hand. And that's how he became the king that's remembered from generations. Find ways to do things better. We have a commitment as a church to say, how can we do this better? Our leadership team, our pastoral team, how can we do this better? How can we raise the bar? How can we serve the Lord with excellence and bring him the best? You're looking at some of that, but this is just, this is, this is nothing compared to what I believe God wants to do and release through us as a church. Because the church is not about stuff, it's about people. How do we get better at following up with people, connecting with people, caring for people? There are more people in this church than I can possibly care for myself. That we need each other. By the way, if you've not joined a Thrive group, jump in. Because care happens. There's some flyers at the back table. We'll talk about those. We have a couple weeks left, but it's not too late. Go jump in and be a part of a Thrive group. Ephesians 6, 7. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That's my other dream. Or oh, Pastor Barry asked me to do this. No, I get to do this for the Lord. See the difference? All right. Last one. Giving. Bring your best in giving. Two things happen in our giving. The first is this. We honor the Lord. We honor God when we give out of our resource to Him. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let's put it in a context so we can understand. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your tithe. Then your bank account will be filled with plenty. And your vats, your resources, will be bursting, overflowing. Megan and I have seen this time and time again in our lives, and and it's in the times that we get serious about budgeting and being aware of our finances because we live in a world where it's easy just to spend. Hey, let's just go to lunch. Hey, let's just go to dinner. Hey, let's just go to a movie. And we get to the end of the month and go, holy cow, we spent that much on going out. Didn't budget for that. Now things are really tight. Oh, Lord, please provide. And he's like, you did. I did. And it's in the times where we budget and we get serious and say, Lord, you first. We're tithing. We're putting the tithe first and we're going to honor you with the tithe 
that at the end of the month, we have way more consistently every single time. We look and go, how did that happen? We literally just had that conversation last week. How did that happen? Because that number doesn't make sense. And I just know in our own walk with the Lord, it's been a battle. I didn't grow up in a home where I saw that modeled. And we were always, I grew up in a wealthy home where we were always freaking out about money. God says, that's not our best. We honor the Lord when we bring our best and then he blesses us. But we do it first for the honoring. Exodus 23, 19, the best of the first, first fruits of the ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. As God was giving instructions for worshiping with the tithe, he said, you don't bring the leftover. You don't bring the leftover. You bring the best. You bring the, the, the very best of what you have to offer. You bring the first fruits. And you've heard testimonies from this pulpit about how God has moved in people's lives. But here's the other thing when we honor the Lord and we bring our best in giving. We care for the church and we advance the kingdom. I heard this story. It was told by a pastor named Robert Morris who wrote a book called uh, The Blessed Life. Pastor Tom was nodding his head because he read it and it rocked his world. The Blessed Life. Get it. Read it. Probably the best book on finances and tithing I've ever come across. This man actually now tithes 90% of his income. He got in the habit of giving stuff away, and he's like, Lord, you, I, he's like, God said to him, you can't outgive me. And he's like, well, I'll take you at your word. And he's tried and tried and tried, right? Gave away a house. His wife would come home. He'd come home, and he's like, honey, where's the car? And she's like, I gave it to someone because they needed a car. <laughs> got to a point, he said, you know what, Lord, okay, I just gave away my house and my car. Try to do better than that. He gets a phone call. Guy says, Pastor, Pastor Robert, I have a Learjet <laughs> and a pilot. He goes, it's yours for a year. The, anywhere you need to go, I know you travel a lot and you spend a lot of time on airplanes. The Learjet, the pilot, the insurance, everything is paid for. The gas, it's at your disposal, whatever you need. God says, gotcha, <laughs> right? He tells this story. There's a man who had to go away for a season of time and had to leave his bride at home, his wife. And what he did is he brought in three of his closest friends and he said, listen, I'm going to give you out of my wealth, I'm going to give you each $10,000 a month. You can use that money for whatever you want. He goes, but 10%, I want you to send back to my wife $1,000 a month. So that would, she would be receiving $3,000 a month. But I want you to make sure that you're caring for my wife while I'm gone. And he leaves five, ten years. He comes back and he asks his wife, hey, how are you doing? How did it go? Did, did those guys take care of you? And she says, oh, yeah, the, the first guy. Not only did he give me that 10%, the 1,000, he went over and above and was giving me 2,000 a month. What about the next guy? Well, he was just faithful every month, $1,000 every month faithfully. Oh, that's great. What about the third guy? You know what? It was hit and miss. Sometimes he would send me 500 sometimes 300 and, and then there would just be seasons where there was nothing. How do you think that man would feel about his friend? Jesus tells a parable, the kingdom of God. 
like a man who entrusted his servants, and he said, would you take care? The church of Jesus Christ is his bride. And we've been entrusted with the care of his church. We've been given the opportunity and the honor to steward and care for and advance the kingdom of God through the tithe. Which of the three are you? Where do you fall? I need you to know, I, as a pastor of this church, I never look at tithe records. I don't know what anyone in this room gives. For those in our leadership, especially in our church council, um, I, I connect with Pastor Deb, who's our bookkeeper, and I say, I just need to know that they're faithful in giving because I can't allow them to entrust, I can't entrust them to care for the finance of the church if they're not faithful in tithing themselves. But outside of that, because I don't want it to get weird in my own heart, can you see how that would just get kind of sideways, right? The church is the bride of Christ, and one day he will return for his bride, and he's going to ask, how did you care for my bride? How did you honor me? And here's the thing. I, I agonized over this, even this, this story, because money, the church, and America... We just don't do well with this. But I've been entrusted as the shepherd of this flock to have the real and honest conversations with you. See, because my heart breaks over those who miss out. My heart breaks over those who miss out on the blessing that God has. Luke 21, 1 through 4, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow with two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live in. And Jesus sees that and he honors her in front of all of those people. This is not about the size of the check or the size of, we, we use the word gift, but really it's, it's our offering to the Lord. It's not about the size, it's about the size of our heart and what God is doing in our heart and our, our willingness to obey and to walk in obedience before the Lord. David said it, I will not offer anything that didn't cost me something. Tithing's not easy. It's not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to do. I want to make this practical for us because this is church family. Again, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. You can tune out for a little bit. That's fine. But I think it's important for us to understand. I've been the pastor of this church almost two years now. In those two years, in that time, we've seen just over half of our church transition out. A lot of people, a lot of your friends, for those of you who've been here for a while, have moved out of state. We've got people in Tennessee and people in Texas and people in Missouri and people, literally, I couldn't believe every week I came, those first few weeks, people were going, Pastor Bear, it's so great to meet you. I need you to know I'm getting ready to move, right? People in Pennsylvania, people all over the place. 
Northern California. And so we've seen a lot of people move. There's a lot of people who just felt like God was leading them somewhere else. But over half of this church has turned over, as they say, since I became the pastor. As of right now, our average attendance is exactly where it was when I started a year and a half ago, which means that our church has grown 50%, 100%. You mathematicians can figure it out. But we've essentially replaced that what was lost as people left. And I praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? Can we just actually give the Lord praise for that? Because many of you sitting here are a part of that. And I'm thankful for you. I'm so glad you're here. I also told our leadership team and our pastoral team and our council, listen, if we keep growing this way before long, these 160 chairs are going to be full. And we're talking about, okay, what's the next step? And, and can I just address um, our biggest growth stuck point is the bathroom, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. If we had better bathrooms, we could, we could grow, grow quite a bit in this place. And it just, it is what it is. So thank you, Jesus. At least we have a bathroom. Um, but we're talking about things like two services. Because the Lord hasn't released us from this place yet. And there's an important reason why. See, because our attendance has increased, but our giving has decreased. And we're down 25% from what we were a year and a half ago. Now, this is just real. This is family, right? And we'll have a church family meeting in, in January, and we'll go over the numbers, and we'll talk about where we're at. Two things. First of all, God provides that every month we pay our bills. Our council has been faithful and just looking over our finances, and we're working on ways to get better, by the way, Christy, wave your hand, and Carol right here are two of our council members. Um, Jim Lynch is the, the third council member, uh, and he's, he's not able to be here this morning. But we meet once a month, and our last meeting was, was pretty, pretty awesome. And we're just looking at, okay, Lord, how can we do better? How can we improve with taking care of the finances? And we just praise the Lord every month for how he closes the gap. You ever been in those seasons where you're like, Lord, this shouldn't add up? But it is, and you're providing, which is great. But we weren't called to survive. We were called to thrive. Amen? Amen. I know this, and I said it already. My heart aches, and I know the heart of God aches for those who are missing out on the opportunity to partner with the kingdom of God in caring for his bride. And I don't want you to walk out of here going, well, Pastor Barry's twisting our arm to give more. No, that, that's not it. And if that's where your heart's at, do not write a check. Do not go on push pay and, and make a contribution. The value we're talking about is bringing our best. Can you imagine a church where everyone who said, this is my home church, stepped up and said, Lord, I will honor you with the tithe. Our current budget is, is in around $200,000 a year. That's our budget. Again, in January, we'll talk about that, and I'll show you, and we'll have a new budget for the new year. But I know that the vision that God's put on my heart is not a $200,000 budget. 
It's not even a million-dollar budget. I believe that God's called us to be a multi-million dollar budget a year church because the vision that he has and the things he wants to accomplish through us are so huge. I've said it before, you don't name a, th- a church Thrive and then just maintain. It's audacious, but I believe it's from the Lord. And so this is your pastor asking you, not strong-arming, not coercing, not manipulating, but saying, would you go to the Lord? And would you inquire of him? And as Malachi said, would you test him in this? That if you were to step up, if you were to look at your income and say, am I tithing on my income? And you would walk in obedience. We're coming up. November starts day after tomorrow. If you would tithe over the next two months faithfully and say, Lord, and this is going into Christmas, I guarantee you that by January you'd say, you know what, I'm in a different place. Not because I say it, but because God does. Test me in this, try me in this. And then watch out what God, watch what God will do through this church. Amen? Amen. Bring your best in your worship, in your service and you're giving. And as we do, church, we're going to see God do even greater things, even greater things in this church, in this city, and the world around us. We stand together as the worship team comes to lead us in a final song.